much love. Elephants and acrobats, lions, snakes, monkey. Kelly speaks righteous. Sister Zena says funky. How bizarre. It's episode 28, <laughs> season 5 of Ravage Love. And we're going back in the day, baby. Back in the day. That is our theme this week. Bonjour, René. Allô, ça va? Ça va très bien, toi? Pas mal, pas mal. Pas mal, pas pire, pas pire. Um... <laughs> Y'all need to know the backstory that sweet, 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 sweet child Renee um, knows that we we have, as we've mentioned many times already, golden retriever, black cat energy friendship. And I really wanted to read a book, a specific book for this week. And so I know Renee and I have very different tastes, but we came to a consensus we came to an agreement. We did a collaboration, if you will, <laughs> mm-hmm, to mm-hmm. come up with a theme that would allow me to read the book I wanted and also give Renee the freedom to read the things that she loves and enjoys. So I'm... Look at us. Look at us. Look at yeah. us. Working together. Diplomacy. Diplomacy, <laughs> if you will. Give peace a chance, y'all. Women can be friends. <laughs> so I'm so excited to tell people about my book this week um, that I'm just going to launch right into it. Hit me. So I read Learned by Heart by Emma Donoghue. Emma Donoghue is my favorite author. Now, Emma Donoghue is an Irish canadian author who love to see it right she met her wife um in the uk her wife was like on exchange and then they got married and had kids and moved to canada so she's been in canada for quite some time um she's a 30 year career and she had written for years before she popped off and she popped off with a little book called room um that was a you know, major bestseller. And then she wrote the screenplay for the film and the film was a bestseller. Like it did really well at the box office. She actually got nominated for an Oscar for best adapted screenplay, um, for having written the screenplay for room and room is like, interestingly enough, a major departure from the other books that she's written. So really, and that's why it's I've so, only read room. Yeah. So <laughs> when people like, it's funny. Cause like, I like, adored that book i thought it was brilliant and then i went and looked up her other stuff and i'm like oh my god she writes almost exclusively sapphic historical novels and i'm like everything i love in this world (laughs) (laughs) and so she does this like one departure and then like kills it and then has gone back to um what she loves so uh frog music incredible um the wonder which was adapted into a screenplay by her starring florence Pugh. it's on netflix if no one has seen it before watch it read it oh it's so fucking good so she has been described by the guardian and i just love this because it's like the perfect summary as the master of the microcosm so like the premise of the room is like you know this woman has been kidnapped and her child is born in this room. And the only thing he knows is this room in entire life. And she's just so good at like, yeah, just the microcosm of like being trapped. One of her 
I think one of her best books called Haven is a from like 16 something AD. And it's about these monks who end up on an island. And she wrote it during the pandemic to talk about isolation. Like she just does the most incredible job taking like the tiniest little part of the world and just like doing world building with it. Um, and actually in this particular book that she wrote, um, I found this really great quote that she did in an interview where she says, my specialty is digging up obscure stories where there are just enough facts to really stimulate the imagination. So she is a literary historian and almost all of her books feature a real person in some way where we have some details about them, but not a whole lot. And so she's like, and that's why I decided to be, to write fiction because I couldn't actually write like, you know, a biography about these people because there wasn't enough. So she basically takes huh. what we know to be true and then fills in the blanks. Love it. So, who learn by heart is a fictionalization of a very real relationship between Anne Lister and Eliza Rain. Now, do you know who Anne Lister is, Renee? No, but it sounds familiar. Yes, because her life was made into a very a well-received BBC show called Gentleman Jack. Um, Ann Lister was a landowner, a businesswoman, uh, a five... Heir to the Listerine fortune. (laughs) No. A five million word diarist. She had so many diaries that it accounted for five million words. And she was openly gay... And exchanged rings with Anne Walker in 1834. She had the first lesbian wedding ever in the world. And this bitch dressed like a man, but like didn't identify as a man, very much identified as a woman, but basically would be our equivalent of like a mask butch woman. Love to see it. Oh my God. We love to fucking see it. Um, And so she was not only openly gay, but in her memoir, like in her diaries, she would use a lot of code to be able to talk about these stories and people like all, I mean, you can imagine Ann Lister is like a fucking gay icon. So tons and tons and tons of people have like deciphered her codes, um, have read her letters, have read her diaries. And so she not only was all of these things like a landowner at a time when women were not owning land, she was like well-respected in the business world. She also was a fucking hoe <laughs> and like just banged so many women so unabashedly, which I love. <laughs> love to see it. <laughs> we love to see a slutty, masculine, butch top. We love to see it, Renee. So, but what's interesting is that there's a lot that's known about Ann Lister because she was such a prolific writer about her own life. Um, but very little was actually known about Eliza Rain. And Eliza Rain was her first love, and they met at the um, Miss Hargrove's Manor School. So Eliza Rain was also fucking, like, a woman of color. So we're talking, like, 1805. (laughs) She's in a boarding school, essentially, um, as... A biracial woman. So her dad, she was like the bastard child of an Englishman and an Indian woman. And she was banished and basically made an orphan. But her dad left her this massive trust. So she had money, but she had no family. And she was not wanted by anyone. And she was living at this boarding school as a woman of color 
in the early 1800s. And so, oh, we just, we have to put you up in this particular room. So she basically lived in an attic in this boarding room, boarding house. Um, oh my God, yeah. like little princess. Yes. And then in saunters in a cocky, know-it-all, very smart, very, very um, self-assured fellow tween, because they're like 14 at this time. And no one knows what to do with this Ann Lister character because they're like, you are not at all um, what we have at this like all girls manor school. And so she gets put up in the attic with Eliza and thus begins a romance. Now, there's very little known about Eliza. And that is why specifically Emma Donoghue focuses on that relationship because it's the first known relationship that Ann Lister's ever had. And there's very little details. And what we know about Eliza is real fucking sad because not only was she made an orphan and sent there and basically had money, but no community, no sense of love or anything. She was also put in an asylum in 1814 oh. where she lived the rest of her fucking life. What? And so what we don't know. Don't love to see it. Pardon? No, we don't love to Don't love to we see it. We do not no. love to fucking see that at all. Uh, and so that's why Emma Donoghue was like, I was so fascinated by this woman because Anne Lister went on to have so many lovers, including a wife, auspiciously, and yet always talked about Eliza, would go and visit Eliza, would write to Eliza, never forgot Eliza. And so Emma was like, oh my God, like there's first love. And then there's like, there was clearly something that, that really like connected them. And so another fun fact about Eliza is after much consternation, academics believe that Eliza was the inspiration for the character Bertha in Jane Eyre. That wow. Charlotte Bronte was inspired by their love story by this woman to write to include her in um, Jane Eyre. So the whole book centers on the so they only spent a year at that boarding school together. And it's based on Anne and Eliza's one year together at the school and then also flashes towards 10 years later in the letter form. So the book alternates between like the time they were together and then 10 years later when they're like in their 20s and they're writing these love letters to each other. Um, and another fun little fact that I wanted to share was that um, Emma Donoghue was she's like, you know, as a lesbian obviously Ann Lister is like iconic and like, you know, I've known tons of stuff about her. Actually one of my, her first plays she actually wrote about Ann Lister. Um, but because of social media, because of like the internet and people's ability to to be in community together, um, there's actually a community of people who have been deciphering Ann Lister's writing, including her love letters. And so they found these love letters. And again, because it's like, Anne was out about who she was, but the women she was with were not, right? And so she had to speak in code to protect them. And so Emma Donoghue, like, basically put out a call and was like, look, I want to get access to these love letters that were written between Eliza and Anne. And people, like, you know how, like, um, like true crime sleuths, like, figure out crimes on the internet, essentially? They, yeah. like, did that with these letters. And so Emma was able to crowdsource the archives and the love letters between Anne and Eliza to help inform the fucking book. Wow. Incredible. So it's everything you love. Oh, it's everything I love. It's nerdy. It's sapphic. It's beautiful. It's historical. 
Um, I love historical anything. I especially love it when there's like a grain of truth, like they're real people or like, you know, the background is a real, real events that were happening at that time in history. And like the level of research that Emma Donoghue puts into her books is bananas. Like she went to that school and got a tour of the grounds. And then she studied the fashion of that era. She studied the food of that era so that like every detail of the book is completely historically accurate. Wow. which I love. And what's interesting about someone like Ann Lister is that like, from our perspective now, we're like, Oh my God, you were so progressive. Like you were a pioneer. You were a landowner. You were doing all these things as a woman, as a outlet. Like it just, it blows my mind. But in adulthood, she actually was like pretty right wing, pretty conservative. Cause she was essentially a capitalist, right? She just wanted yeah. to yeah. accumulate wealth, to accumulate land and so it's an interesting look at like how in this book, it's like a young Ann Lister who's just like very curious, who's like very well educated, who, you know, has lo- knows tons of things about the world. She's very worldly and still has like a curiosity about her. And then in her later years really kind of was like solidified in being like pretty right wing. And so like not at all progressive from you know a 2023 reader's perspective um but obviously was pretty fucking edgy at the time so um this book is this book has everything no it's (laughs) it's so beautiful it is heart-wrenching it is everything i love about a good sapphic romance like a historical one in particular where it's just like so much longing and like and it has some spice but it has really great chemistry and like the buildup of, you know, like I'm different and you're different. And so there's almost like a resentment that like, oh, people assume we're going to get along and we can just share rooms because like you're obviously a dyke and I'm brown. Um, but how they like really kind of pull out the best of each other because Eliza just wants to get along, right? Because she is not wanted in the world and experiences this discrimination and like, knows that she's different and so she just like follows the rules to a fucking t because she's like i don't want to give these people any excuse to look down on me and then in rolls in fucking ann who's just like i wear pants i do what i want i talk back to people i don't give a shit and so they like kind of pull out this like a little bit of rebellion in each other but also a little bit of like this is why i follow the rules so they like inform each other and it's just like a beautiful devastating look at this very real romance that happened back in the motherfucking day i loved it unsurprisingly i've only disliked one emma donoghue book and it was one of her like contemporary books that she wrote that wasn't historical so like if you're listening to now is it it's romance it's definitely a romance but it's not a romance in i guess like the traditionals not the traditional but like in most of the ways like it's not it would not be it's not chick lady at all like you know it was nominated for a bunch of awards and all of these things but um it's such a beautiful romance and if you are like if what i'm describing to you sounds like your jam i'm telling you pick up frog music by emma donoghue which is like based on a true story again of a woman who kept getting arrested for quote-unquote cross-dressing in public um and she's a real person and she just happened to be at the site of where a crime happened and so she ends up being a fugitive so fucking good um but this one learned by heart emma donoghue's latest get it i would not be surprised if it also gets adopted into um like a mini series or a film or something because especially like Mm -hmm. since gentleman jack did so well with bbc i would not be surprised if like 
Netflix or, you know, an American outlet wants to take a stab at it, but, um, loved it, loved it so much. And so thank you so much, Renee, for letting me (laughs) insert this book into our, uh, episode this week, because, um, she's really, she's truly one of those authors where I will just pre-order her latest book sight unseen. Don't like, cause they're just bangers, like just cost. And I don't know what my problem is. I don't think it's a problem, but like I fucking <laughs> love Irish authors. I'm obsessed. Irish and Scottish. I'm fucking obsessed. I don't know what it is. I don't know what my heart, my grandmother was from there. I don't know if there's just like a vibe to it, but, um, but she's both Irish and Canadian. And a lesbian. Oh, and her wife, she's a women's studies and French professor in Southern Ontario. Oh, wow. There it is. I mean, there it is. Honestly. That's the that's, that's the icing. Exactly. That's the cherry. That's yeah, wow. I am the circle of this Venn diagram, is what that is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So that is what I read for our back in the day episode. How about you, bud? What did you land on? Oh, well, before I get into that, I just want to remind you, it's it's your annual reminder that tomorrow is the anniversary of when Kathleen Hanna slid into your DMs. Um, <laughs> I, just, I keep that in my calendar. So I, I got like the alert today and I was like, oh, better, better. Congratulate oh, you. my Happy fucking God. Happy anniversary. That is hilarious. Blessed be. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. I love that so much. Thank you for telling me that. <laughs> oh. Mazel tov. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I I struggled to find something because all historical fiction is like 4,000 pages and I fucking hate it. Um, so I found a 250-page banger today and it took me all day to read it because fucking... There's no haunted houses. There's no, <laughs> you there's no ghosts. It. You could have found a back-in-the-day haunted house. No, no, because those those books are not focused on the the triflings of romance. They're focused on <laughs> ghosts, like things that matter, like hauntings and spookiness. Um, I did finish reading Hidden Pictures yesterday, which was whew, so good, so good. Um, but not, not a, a romance. romance. Yeah, not a romance. Not a romance. So I read Mastered by the Sea Marquis. Um, yeah. I don't know who wrote it. One second. I'll tell you real quick. Um, it was by S.J. Sanders, U.S. Today bestselling author. Um, it was good. It was a good book. Um, I did enjoy it. It was holy spicy, though. Oh, <laughs> okay. Very spicy. Um, like, I was not prepared to watch my kids play Minecraft while I was reading this book. But <laughs> it happened. It happened. So um, it, it felt way longer than 250 pages. And I say that as somebody who like crunches out like 400 page books, like two of them a week. It, it's just, it felt so long. Um, but it was good. It was a very good book. Um, so it's set in the Regency era. Okay. As so was right mine. There. Love that. Look at us. Uh, I hate that. um i don't i don't need bridgerton in my life i just don't um so it the july ball is coming up and um our protagonist margaret phillips is an american living in the uk and she is under the care of her uncle who's a, a big big shot um following a scandal in philadelphia and the scandal is that she 
was going to elope with this man and they ran away together and they were in Egypt and um, they're, they're fucking. That's the scandal. Um, but one day they, they were banging and she woke up and he had stolen all of her money and all of her jewels. Um, and so she had to return to Philadelphia with her head hanging and her family sent her off uh, because uh, her mother's English and the queen has decreed that um, it's the best thing for, I guess, everybody that she comes back uh, to England to hide from this, this scandal, but also to um, try and marry up, like marry somebody of her station. So she's living with her uncle and uh, she gets this letter summoning her to a ball at this manor. And she's like, I don't want to go to this. This is stupid. Um, she's like, I just want to live my life. She actually still has money. It's in a trust. Um, and she just has to avoid marriage for her to have it issued to her and she can have it on her own and she'll be free. She doesn't have to marry anymore. The money will be hers. So she is sitting down with her cousin Cece and she comes up with this plan that she's going to cause a bigger scandal here or I guess in the UK so that she can, um, nobody will want her, right? Nobody will want her. She won't be invited to balls anymore. Um, and Cecilia is like, I don't know why you would do that. Like there's gonna be good prospects there. Now what's special about this ball is that it's a monster ball. Um, so all the suitors are marquees and, and lords and, and they're all monsters. Now, there's there's two reasons that there are monsters. The first reason is that just monsters exist in this world. Okay. The second reason is that year, years prior, uh, there was an illness that ravaged the planet and some people got turned into monsters. Okay. Um, so she decides she's going to go to this ball um, and pretend like she's trying to snag a husband, but is really going to have an affair so that she can be further scandalized and not have to marry anybody. Ooh. Now, her uncle is wise. He's wise to her. And so he tasks her aunt to go with her. Her aunt is a widow. She's older. She's a widow. And she is a very prim and proper. And she is not having it. So she's laying down the law. She's like, you know what? You have to be a lady. Like you are besmirching our good name. It's scandalized, not just you, it scandalized your family and your family back home. And they want to see you wed to somebody of good standing. So like, don't fuck it up. And she's like, okay, Emily, you got it. Nah, nah. So she gets to this manor and a hunky orc answer, like is a footman and, and lets her out of the thing. And she's like, wow, he's really, he's really spicy. That's great. Um, and her aunt is like, oh my God, an orc. Um, and then this little dude, we don't know what he is. I think he's a fairy. I don't know, but he's just like whimsical. He sounds like, um, you know, the, like, you know, in the hunger games, Mm -hmm. um, you know, you know, the host of the TV show. Oh, Stanley Tucci's character. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Stanley Tucci. Reminds me of him, but like as a dwarf-sized fae folk man. Okay. So okay. he's a lot of fun. And so he's just like, yeah, you know, welcome to our event. You're going to have a great time. This is great. Um, and she's like, okay, you know what? Good, good folks here. Good folks. Then we have Thrain. And Thrain is a marquee from 
the Sheridan uh, depths off the coast of France. And he's like, he's like a, like a sea creature. He's like a, like a, like a bog thing or a swamp creature, maybe. <laughs> um, and he has to get a wife um, because he's about to go into his rutting, um, which is going to make him violent. As we know, with like shifter romances and stuff, when people like when that when the shifter characters need to mate, they they get crazy, right? Now their form of bonding for this species is called like a uh, something song. I'll come back to it, but what it means is that like there's a vibration and a sound that is present when their mate is is around. So of course we know we're going to hear this song. So. She has never seen any of these creatures before because the illness that caused the monsters never reached America. So she's only heard about these monsters, but she's never seen any. And she's completely like blown away. She thinks they're super cool. She's always been really inquisitive. She always wants to have an adventure. And, you know, this guy that she hooked up with blew it for her. And so she's completely blown away. She thinks it's really cool that there's all these different creatures. There's like Corvid people and there's um, centaurs and there's minotaurs and there's this, this swamp guy and there's like all these crazy creatures. And so she is fascinated. He knows immediately that she is his mate because he can hear this sound and humans don't know about it and aren't in tune to it. So she doesn't know, but she's like, He's really spicy, but he's not the guy that I'm going to hook up with while I'm here. So she's walking around meeting all these dudes. Um, and the uh, hostess is like really beautiful, really witchy. And she has set up all of these events. The theme is Midsummer's Night Dreams. So everything's like fairies and flowers and all these things. Um, and very Regency, right? So at one point, like they're going through a walk through the gardens and Thrain uh, decides to join her and then they find like horny statues everywhere and she's like oh my goodness you know she's blown away but she's into it um and she knows this guy's into her but she doesn't want to get involved because she likes him and thinks he's nice so uh there's this like sneaky dude whose sister wants their humans sister wants to marry thrain for like political alliances and so he's working to try and facilitate that but thrain is not interested he knows his betrothed is there right like his mates there um so he keeps blowing off this guy and um one night um maggie she prefers to be called is notices that there's like a crack in the wall uh by her bedroom and so she goes in and she discovers there's like a study and it's got this table and it's all set up with like alchemy stuff and she's like what the fuck and so she's looking around and then thrain had noticed that the, the wall was open and so he goes in and he's like what are you doing in here girl and she's like i'm just snooping like what do you what do you want and which i guess is a really common thing in the regency era people can't keep their noses out of other people's business um that's a theme i've noticed in regency mm -hmm. romance nothing but gossip so she's She's fucking snooping. Yeah. And also on the theme of gossip, that's her whole thing is she knows there are gossip mongers at this party. In fact, the book opens with like a page from a gossip rag, which I thought was cool. Um, 
So she wants to get the gossip, like the rumor mill going, right? So that she can be free. Um, so he joins her and he's like, eh, you know, you really shouldn't be in here. She's like, no, I have to explore. And then they see this little door and it descends down to the basement. And so he's like, well, I have to go with you. And like, that's where we learn that like he can glow because he lives in the depths of the ocean. And, you know, we learn about like, he's got spikes and shit all over his body, whatever. So uh, they go down to the basement and there's like this room that's obviously used for rituals. And so she's kind of like, that's really weird. Okay. Um, and then they come back to that later. So then there's like a ball and uh, she walks in and nobody notices her and she's starting to get her feelings hurt. She's like, why, why are no men approaching me? Like, I don't understand. Then she looks over and Thrain, who had been like, save the first dance for me. Um, he's dancing with somebody. And she's and it's it's this like gossip girl that came there with her brother and she's really hurt. Right. She's really hurt. And um, we later learn that it's like in his culture, he wants to show off his moves. He wants to be like, check out my fucking dance. Peacocking. He's peacocking. He's like, Ernie buddy, <laughs> look at my moves. And um, and he's he's put a spell on the room so that nobody notices her. Um, and so she's really hurt and she's like giving him like the cold shoulder and stuff. And then he goes and he apologizes to her. He's like, look, I'm really sorry. He's like, I was trying to show you what I could bring to the table, what I could offer. And he's like, I didn't, I didn't recognize that that might conflict with human customs. And I'm really sorry. Um, and um, she's like, oh, you were just trying to impress me. And he's like, I was, I'm, I'm so sorry. I, I didn't mean to hurt you. Like, I don't want to do that. And so then they come to an agreement in talking and getting to know each other better because she's also an artist. And he's like, would you draw me? And she's like, yeah, I would love to draw you. And he's like, no, no, no. Like out of these clothes, I don't, I don't wear clothes. I don't like clothes. They're not comfortable, but they're more comfortable for humans. So I'm here in clothes, but like, I want you to see my tail. I want you to, you know, draw me as, as myself. He's like, and she's like, I don't know. That's really improper. And he's like, no other human has ever created a piece of art of our likeness. And she's like, I'm in. So he's like, cool. Meet me at sunrise down by this little lake and you can draw me. And she's like, cool. Okay. Yeah. And, um, so he has to like get naked. He hops in the water and she's like, I'm so fucking horny for this swamp man. Um, and, uh, they end up like getting like on each other. But then he's like, I can't fuck her because she's not ready for it. And so he just like uses his tail to get her off. And then she like trudges back to the, um, to the, the house all so soaking wet and stuff. But she's like, did I do something wrong? He's like, no, no, no. He's like, you're just not ready. And the reason is that, um, his penis says his penises are behind some scales and so in order in his culture to mate, it has to penetrate a sheath through his body. So it like punctures his mm -hmm. skin. And then as it's puncturing his skin, he then punctures the sheath of the female of his culture. So it's very painful. And he's just like, you know what? I know she's had dick, but like, she's not ready. She's not ready for this jelly. So he's just like, I'm going to rub one out for you, buddy. And um, she's like, you yeah, maybe that's great. So then there's like a tea party and it's a whole thing. And then um, the book gets weird. Okay. I know it sounds weird now. It's not weird yet, Julie. It's not weird yet. It's not weird yet. So she is starting to piece things together. 
And she's like, I have to get back into that study. I want to go explore it one more time. So she decides between the like dinner and the ball that she's going to go back to the study and um, just do some research and stuff. And so in doing that research, she discovers ingredients and notes and things. And she kind of pieces together this idea that their hostess is putting spells on the people who are attending the, the, the events so that they fall in love and that her feelings for this guy aren't real. And she's mad as hell and she's pissed and she's hurt. And she's like, this sucks. So she's storming out of the room and then the walls start to shake and she's like, something's up. This isn't okay. What's going on? <laughs> but out of nowhere. Okay. Out of nowhere. I was, I didn't even see this coming. Okay. Fucking tentacle oh, pops out of a painting Jesus. and grabs her. And we learn it's a Leviathan. And that this painting is a portal to another realm. But Thrain has come upstairs looking for Margaret. And he's like, girl, where you is? And then um, he sees her being attacked by a Leviathan. And he knows what it is, right? He lives in the ocean. He knows what a fucking Leviathan is. Please, Julie. Come on. He knows. The man knows. <laughs> so she's he's fighting with this giant tentacle to try and get his beloved free. And then fucking gossip boy comes over and he's like, mm, what's going on here? And he's like, I need you to help me right now. He's like, I don't think I will. Bye. And so um, he's on his own. And what happens? The Leviathan sucks Maggie into the painting. Whoa. I know. And I, I was thinking like, did you ever watch Witches? Like the original Witches? The movie? Yeah. With Angie, yeah. Angie Houston. Yeah. Okay. You know how like they trap kids in paintings? Yes. And they're like, oh no. That's what I imagined. Nay, nay. So he's like, baby, no. And he jumps into the painting and they're in another realm and they have to fight off this octopus, this Leviathan. And he saves her and then they find a little cavern and he like scales this cliff and, and finds this little cave and he puts her in there and, and they're like, okay, hey, we got to figure out what to do. Um, they do eventually fuck. She wakes up feeling really hot and um, he's just like past the point of no return with his running. So he's just like yum 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 and she's just like I'm gonna do it. And so they fuck. And then he's like pretty sure my uh, seed took and she's like excuse me. What do you mean? What do you mean by that? Um, and he's like we have a baby. And she's like cool 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 cool. Um, but meanwhile they gotta figure out how to get back. So uh, he scales to the top of the cliff and he looks down and he sees all these jagged rocks coming out of the water and he realizes that it's like this ancient creature that's considered to be like a great worm and it it feeds out of the, the water and like inhales everything in its path and they're like, we, this isn't good. We need to get out of here. And so um, as he's killing the mountain, he finds another cave and in that cave are things. So, like, somebody's lived there. So, there's, like, a bed and furs and, like, a stove and, like, things, right? And so, he's like, this is really weird. So, they piece together that the hostess's late husband was into some kind of, like, cult shit, like, Aleister Crowley level stuff. I guess pre-Aleister Crowley. And um, he had been coming there to try to get a tooth from this creature for magic stuff. And so, that means that there has to be an exit. And they kind of deduce that, like, the full moon 
is when the great worm is at its like strongest and so that's probably when the portal gets opened and then they find this like um hot spring and behind the hot spring is a mouth to a cave where uh there's another painting that leads them back to the thing they have to wait for the full moon so as the full moon arrives they're like scaling down the mountain or the cliffside to get to this painting when all these like giant bat things come out of nowhere trying to escape this worm and smash into the cliff and then they gotta like escape the worm and all this stuff and they just make it just in time they bust through the painting and then the hostess is like explain everything for me please and then maggie's like bitch you're putting spells on us she's like no i'm not she's like not the way you think i'm just making it so everybody could feel comfortable and open to finding people that they connect with that's this it that's all she's like i can't account for my late husband he was in over some weird shit but like yeah like it wasn't me but she's like uh you know i'll move the painting uh, you know and then um thrain is like can we please sign a marriage contract and then they have a wedding but then the like gossip guy is like um he's like oh well what's going on here and so then thrain like punches him in the jaw and breaks it and then he's kind of like looming over him like what what like faking like you know he's gonna kick his ass um and he's like don't ever talk to me or my future wife ever again. And he says the same thing to like his sister and they're pissed, but they still come to the wedding, which I thought was nice. Um, <laughs> and they get married and then uh, they wrap it up. And then she gets taken to like his Island where he lives. And then they give her a special potion that gives her like mermaid skin, but not a tail, uh, but it's just so she can breathe underwater and like has like skin that'll keep her warm and stuff. I wanna I wanna imagine she got really thick skin like a Michelin man. Um, but it's probably not the case. And um that's how it ended. Happily ever after. So, you know, way more nuanced than than what I had to say, but it was very good. Um and it was it was written like a like a like a really real Regency novel, not like a monster novel um, but it's actually part of a series called the monster ball series and different authors wrote every book and the shortest ones i was like that's what i'm gonna read but then the reviews were like this didn't make sense this was not good uh <laughs> didn't love this um but then this one had very good reviews and i see why like it, it was very good it was incredibly well written it didn't have like you know sometimes they have those slips where it's like they start talking modernly yep. and stuff none of that love um that. they they did use the word cunt like that was their word for vagina um but whatever i don't care i feel like that's the word they probably would have used yeah like, probably the only spicy word that existed back then <laughs> Yeah, and it probably See, wasn't viewed Tuesday, right? as like misogynist either. No, exactly. Um, so yeah, I you know what, ten out of ten for spice, you know, spice. So I'm gonna say um, ten out of ten uh, spicy anchovies. I guess I don't know. Um, it was good. It was good. I, I the story was okay, and I totally bamboozled. I was not expecting <laughs> the fucking Leviathan scene at all. Um, favorite thing about the story was that over his penis it a tube would come out to suck on her clit and oh. i was like that's a great feature for a, for a sea monster yes really, really um so 10 out of 10 for that it doesn't even need an accoutrement get yourself some kind of like um sea monster sex toy that also has like a suction situation happening because this this sea monster had it all 
He had he was had patience. He had everything. He, he had everything. He had patience. He had a tail. He had scales. He could glow in the dark. He had a suction tube over his dick. His dick was humongous. It, it had everything. Um, I'll tell you, and I guarantee a sex toy like that d- must exist. It must. Um, yeah, it was good. It was all right. Uh, what, I don't uh, like re- Regency. What you gonna read? <sighs> this this scene was so funny to me, um, and I loved it because you know how I always complain about how like in shifter romance they never fuck the animal. Yes. Yeah. So in he ha- he can kind of shift a little to kind of tuck his tail away, um, but in doing so he has to like. Um, his whole body kind of has to like shift a little to readjust itself. And so she um, has this moment where she's like, no, no, leave it on. Like basically. And I thought that was super funny. So um, I'm going to, I'm going to read that for you. Love it. Hit me. All right. Your book is really just fucking with me. It's just such like I know every week we have this like intense juxtaposition, but you're like, I read a Regency romance, barf, and then you're like, and then there was a fucking Leviathan, and they got eaten by a painting, and I'm like, oh my god, we went on two very different journeys this week. I wasn't expecting it. I know it was a surprise to me too. I'm tickled for you. I really, really am. So yeah, hit me. You know what? An author could really get my attention. By interrupting coitus with a leviathan. And this author did that. You're like, I'm so. sitting up. Okay, I'm paying attention now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, my kids are playing Minecraft. Picture it. <laughs> kids are playing Minecraft. I'm curled up under a heated blanket. I'm reading a very spicy sex scene. And then, boom, leviathan. <laughs> like, okay, okay. I'm here. I'm present. Tell me everything. So... <laughs> Here we go. Josh better have some good music. Give me something like watery for this, Josh. Okay. Here we go. Maggie licked her lips as she regarded the smooth rocks near the water. Tell me, Thrain, are you required to be in water to have your tail? He gave her a curious look over his shoulder. Not at all. It would be inconvenient if we had to be completely dry to have legs or submerged to have a fin. Whatever is more useful at the moment, we possess the the control to adopt. Being in fin is easier since we tire more slowly, but naturally it has its setbacks. Show me, she murmured as she stepped closer to him. His expression turned quizzical as he slowly straightened as he regarded her. Show you? She nodded. Right here. Show me on these rocks, she said, gesturing to the smooth rocks beneath their feet. Thrain's eyes dropped to them and his fins expanded as understanding lit his features and his eyes snapped back up to meet hers. He dropped to his knees before her, her legs pinned slowly together beneath him. Bones cracked and his flesh melted together and uh, and to her wonder everything slowly began to reform. His feet cracked as well and the bones lengthened and became thinner only to curl inward and unfurl into enormous fins. His large pelvic fins ballooned up and stretched languidly as did every major fin on his tail. The very tip of his tail fins dipped into the hot springs, splashing lightly in a playful manner as he slowly reclined onto his side, but Maggie's gaze was distracted by the scarlet slit of his sheath that was even more vivid and glossy on his tail. The hum uh, in the air drew her towards him as if she were being lured by bees. This, she understood, had to be the song bond of which Thrain spoke. 
It rolled over her skin, echoing through and from her. Thrain's pupils expanded, their, uh, the amber within them shrunk as he began to croon in time with the hum and she, uh, that she felt pulsing from him. His body arched and moved sinuously, his voice rising and lowering in a deep, rolling melody as his eyes darkened with the intensity that she'd imagined in the privacy of her room. She stepped closer and her eyes dropped to his groin as the scarlet sheath pulsed and pushed out before parting for the pale pink flesh that emerged from it. Maggie's lips parted as she got her first clear look at it. Their union had been such a, such a hurried meeting of flesh that she hadn't gotten the chance to admire his cock. It was long and thick, but thicker around the base and the tip, which tapered into an arrow-shaped head. It, uh, it writhed before her eyes as if seeking for her as his pelvic fins twitched at either side of it. Maggie felt heat rush through her at the at the obscene sight that she removed her chemise and tossed it aside before dropping to her knees beside him. And then she licks his dick. And that was Shape of Water. Thank you. <laughs> a film that we watched together in a hotel room. It was so good. Oh, I loved it. I love that. Oh, <laughs> man. Do I even read? Because mine's so chaste and lovey-dovey. You know the drill. <laughs> yeah all right fucking let's do it so let's do it sister mine uh i'm reading a very very early section of the book and this is a letter that uh eliza so again eliza is the uh young woman of color who uh was eventually put in an asylum and so this is 10 years after they finished school she is writing to anne and this is just a little part of her letter these days I live on words since my imagination is starved of other stimuli. Not that I keep a diary. The year we turned 17, you did your best to teach me that improving habit, but I always found it hard to pluck details from my daily round that seemed worth recording. Without an interested ear inclined towards me, my words dry up. I lack that bottomless spring that bubbles up behind your clever tongue. It strikes me that your own journal writing has much in common with your own powers. Walking, say. Whatever you like... You do with energy and ambition, almost greedily, and with a vigor that impresses us lesser mortals, even if we sometimes find it exhausting. No, only in letters to one sympathetic listener can I open my bosom and speak my pleasures and pains. So I read all day until my eyes are sore, then I write to you, though all too hurriedly, two or three pages worth, I find, is about as much as I can get under these conditions, before I'm obliged to lay down my pen. In the night, I send out my mind to wander, and of all the places I've lived in my almost quarter century, Madras, Tottenham, Doncaster, Halifax, Bristol, the lodestone to which my restless mind is always drawn, as a compass needle to true north, is York, and in particular, to our manor school. Less than a mile in distance from this house where I sit scribbling, but in time, a yawning gulf. Ten years back to when we were fourteen, and not just any ten years, but that vast stretch between raw girlhood and settled womanhood. Like some old lady at 24, I find most fascination in retrospect. The memories come back to me with the irresistible forces of waves striking ashore. It sh would be absurd to deny how changed I am in ways I need not list. I am not who I was then when we met. But I recall that Eliza so vividly, I only have to close my eyes to slip into her under her skin. Under the mossy, leaky roof of King's Manor, I was quickened to life from the day I first laid eyes on you. Lister. As the old Roman chiseled on our stone, happy the spirit of this place. In our slope, and the slope is the very cute name for the little sloped 
uh, attic room they were in. In our slope, I pass my best hours, and sometimes I have to remind myself that they are indeed past. But I tell myself that I'm not dead, not yet. Wilted plants have been known to revive if given just a little water. Could I have you by my side once more? I almost believe. Oh my god! Julie, Julie, why was she hospitalized? Um, because people are awful. Okay, yeah, it was one of those. Yeah, it was one of those. It was very much Uh a, you're an orphan, you are brown, (laughs) uh, you're too friendly with this woman, bye-bye. Yeah. Way to go, Commonwealth. (laughs) Fucking thumbs down for these people. Uh, But thumbs up for beautiful, beautiful romance, beautiful writing, for longing, for, um, you know, living your truth. I I know I've said it a bunch of times on the episode, on various episodes, and I will say it again. There is something, like, I get choked up reading stories about queer history. Like, fucking choked up. Like, whether you're talking about HIV AIDS history, whether you're talking about Regency era, like... Just seeing the struggles, like it's it's hard to be queer in 2023. It's certainly the best time to be queer in all of human history so far, but still it's, you know, there's attacks on queer kids and trans kids and teaching consent in schools and teaching gender, you know what I mean? And so to imagine in like 1805, you're like, I <laughs> am a dyke, like wah. The fucking courage it would take to live your best authentic life back in the day is so admirable to me. And so... But, like, it's almost like she could only live her truth in the way that she did because of capitalism. And I don't love that. Right? Like, that's that's what I find so interesting is that it's, like, it's complex, right? Because she accrued power and, as a result, could live the life that she wanted. But... Would she have, if homophobia didn't exist, would she have felt the need to accrue power, right? That's, to mm-hmm. me, the interesting question is, like, was, is it shitty? Yeah, I mean, being a landowner at any time in history, unless, you know, even Indigenous people didn't own land. So, like, literally, landowner is, by definition, a little bit ugh, sus. <laughs> but yeah. again, um, you know, to to get to that position at that time speaks to like her absolute fucking intelligence and her charisma and her ability to like schmooze people um Mm -hmm. which is certainly a talent uh and you gotta have courage to do any of those like to be a woman in business to be an over like an out lesbian like these are all things that require a tremendous amount of courage but um that's what i loved about like reading interviews and listening to interviews and podcasts and stuff with emma donaghy after i read the book i was like i just knowing she put so much research into it i'm like tell me everything and that was her takeaway is that she was like she's a really complicated person because on the one hand Mm -hmm. she was a pioneer on the other hand she actually was like pretty old school in her views on things right and and like i don't know i mean i don't know enough about ann lister to say that it's like an apt comparison but to me it's similar to like how caitlin jenner when she transitioned was like on the cover of all these magazines, she won woman of the year. People were like, Oh my God, what a pioneer. And yet she's like so fucking conservative and Republican and like, doesn't even believe in gay marriage for Christ's sake. 
So you're like, Jeez. on the one hand, but still benefits from all those. Exactly. Things, right? right. So like on the one hand, you're like, you legit were a pioneer, both as an Olympian, as like a visible trans woman, like great, cool, awesome. But you close the door behind you <laughs> and yep. are actively harming the community you claim to represent. So, um, yeah, so complicated. But um, I recommend even if, if folks don't want to full on read Learned by Heart by Emma Donoghue, just looking up Ann Lister, watching the series. Um, if you're Canadian, it is on Crave um, okay. and it's called Gentleman Jack and it's delightful um but yeah very interesting character and very very cool that this like white irish canadian playwright was like huh what's this note about this eliza woman and then just like kept pulling the thread and then realized this is a story that needs to be told and like sometimes the story that needs to be told is about historical lesbians sometimes it's about a leviathan in a painting you know there's just so many stories that need to be told <laughs> history is vast it is vast yeah. and the world is a diverse place with lots of different folks coming at things from lots of different angles so truly yeah that was us this week but what's next week bud thanksgiving buddy again <laughs> it is so we're gonna do american thanksgiving because we may or may not have stumbled upon some truly zany gems mm -hmm. <laughs> that needed to be read and discussed at length on the podcast so 100 we're gonna hit you all with some thanksgiving and then you know that's gonna lead us into our holiday season which renee grins and bears every year because she loves me to death <laughs> But, you know, we're going to bring you some freaky Halloween or sorry, freaky Christmas shit, just like we brought you freaky shit at Halloween. Um, I'm going to read the chastest, most fucking pure Christmas stories. And I can't wait. I can't wait. Oh, man, I have one that I think came out last year or the year before, but it was coming out after Christmas. And I... It's in the bank. Like, I'm ready to read oh it and God, I so can't wait. Oh my God, I'm so excited. But I've read some really quite literal doozies for Christmas. So, um, <laughs> you know, I have one in the bank, but like, I don't, I just really hope that uh, I can find enough for the month. I mean, I'm on the hunt for some good Amish Christmas. It's been a minute since I've been able to read an Amish <laughs> book. So, I'm trying to find a good gem for that. We're bringing the hits. We're bringing Always. the hits because we don't. That's what we do here on the show. So, um. Also, we are now at five stars on Spotify. Okay. Which I think is so good, and thank we're you. almost at twenty thousand downloads, which is huge. So thank you. But what I would love to see is our Instagram numbers go up oh, because yeah. we have so many great followers, and they're engaged, and they're commenting, and they're messaging us, and I love that. We can, we always there's always room for more. Oh my god, there's yes! And more. Renee makes the most top shelf content for the Instagram. I'm telling you, if like I'm being, this is gonna sound so insincere, but I'm like dead ass right now to our lovely listeners. The world is so bleak right now, and if you want a little corner of the internet that is just funny and like entertaining and not heavy or bleak or depressing follow us on instagram renee is finding you some gems we got memes we got reels we got all kinds of shit <laughs> so if you need joy while you're doom scrolling about you know the state of the universe 
please follow Ravage Love. I promise you, you will get one laugh a week minimum by doing so. Plus, you'll stay updated on when we drop new episodes because our lives are chaotic as hell. And so we kind of just drop them once a week-ish when we can because we are just juggling a lot. So follow us on Instagram. You'll know when the new episode drops and uh, you'll have some laughs because uh, book talk and bookstagram really delivers the goods. <laughs> you know what? And all the, all the young folks are saying that we need to get on TikTok and we have a TikTok account, but it's so hard. It's so hard to make TikTok videos. I uh, like... I can't do it. And the ones that we do have, I worked tirelessly on for hours. And then I just gave the phone to my kid and she was like, beep, pop, boop, boop. It was done. So really credit to my daughter for our two TikTok videos. Um, but <laughs> I, I, I don't think I have it in me. I'm, I'm too old. I, I just curate TikTok videos. I don't, I don't make TikTok videos. It's too difficult. <laughs> it's too hard. But you know what? I bet if we did, our numbers would blow up. <laughs> oh, I'm sure they would. But it is also like an astounding amount of work. So, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but we we will always take like interns to help <laughs> with oh, yeah. that. We will Find not off on those hours, kids. We yeah. got you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Slide into the old DMs, pal. We'll put you to work. Awesome. Oh, I do have news though. Uh, my book that I put up for grabs um, uh, to be devoured. You remember the one about the uh, vultures and the girl that ate uh, her girlfriend? How um, could I it- forget? <laughs> It has been claimed. Oh, congratulations to the freak that wanted it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. So I am going to mail that out and I'm so thrilled. I'm so thrilled. It started with, I like vultures. I was like, (laughs) cool. Um, So I love this. Sending it out to you. Um, Thanks for listening, folks. Yeah. It was lovely chatting with you. It's always my greatest pleasure. Do you want to sing us out? I sure do. Ravage love. Ravage love. Bye. Bye. Artwork for the show is created by Karen McKnight. Very special thanks to Josh Shenfield for production assistance. You can find Josh on Instagram at Fushigiyami. That's F-U-S-H-I-G-I-Y-A-M-I on Instagram. Connect with us at Ravage Love on Instagram and Twitter or by email at ravagelove.podcast at gmail.com. I'm here, I'm present, tell me everything. <laughs> so here we go. Josh better have some good music. Give me something like watery for this, Josh. Okay. <laughs> Here we go. Maggie licked her lips as she regarded the smooth rocks near the water. Tell me, Thrain, are you required to be in water to have your tail? He gave her a curious look over his shoulder. Not at all. It would be inconvenient if we had to be completely dry to have legs or submerged to have a fin. Whatever is more useful at the moment, we possess the uh, the control to adopt. Being in fin is easier since we tire more slowly, but naturally it has its setbacks. Show me she murmured as she stepped closer to him. His expression turned quizzical as he slowly straightened as he regarded her. Show you? She nodded. Right here. Show me on these rocks, she said.